Kum Lenin Ablakimara. We are learning today the blot of Zainam and Aleph, which is the first day of Rosh Hashanah. When we finish the blot, we'll pause for a second and then we'll start uh, the blot for the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Okay. Uh, a statement was made, and we're trying to work out what exactly the meaning of that statement is. So the Gemara says the statement was made that three lines on the bottom. Um, sorry, two lines on the bottom. Everybody mute themselves. That the egg, when it emerges, it is completed. So we're trying to work out what exactly that statement meant. So we had a few shots in before. Now the Gemara says, You know what it means when it says that when it emerges, it's completed? And the may that the only time that eggs can actually produce a chick is if the egg left the mother's the hen. So then Megadels of Rechim can raise chicks. The Meima, but while if you shechted a hen and you found eggs in there, even though it's complete, ain't the Megadels of Rechim, those eggs will never turn to chicks. Says the Gemara, what exactly is the difference? When you're buying an egg and you're looking for an egg that can produce a chick, you have to make sure that the egg was actually laid, not that it was found whole inside the hen. Kehuda Malay was a guy out there selling Bayer the Pachi. He was out there merchandising. And he said, who wants to buy the egg of a chicken that made noise? In other words, it was laid. The man, and this person came along and wanted to buy it, and he cheated him, deceived him, and he actually gave him a whole egg when the very top of the page. He gave him a whole egg that came from the inside of the hen, and therefore he couldn't produce a chick. Also, so the buyer went to the Bami to complain, with the Zainam and Allah, two lines from the top. Amalu, he said, Rabami ruled straight away. He was deceived. The sale unravels, is undone, and he has to reimburse him his full money. Says, if a husband give him back his full money, he's going to treat it. Isn't that obvious? He cheated him. Says, no. I would have thought, I would have thought that this person, even though he asked for an egg that was laid so that it could produce a chick, he didn't really want an egg that produces a chick. Most people buy eggs, buy it to consume the egg itself. So why did he ask for such an egg? Why did he say that? Because it has more flesh in it and so on. Therefore, that's why he wanted, he asked for the egg that could produce a chick. So at the end of the day, what's the difference? The fact is he was deceived. The difference is whether he has to reimburse him the entire money, or you can say, look, you wanted a better quality. You want a grade A, I gave you a grade B. So all I should reimburse you is the difference between what you wanted and what you received. It is similar enough. I would have thought you just have to give him the difference. Kamash long that he has to reimburse him completely. A similar story. A guy was going around saying, he was selling the merchandise, saying, who wants to have an egg that was fertilized by a, by a rooster rather than just a battery egg that was you know, fertilized with heat of the ground? Who wants it? This person bought it, but instead he was deceived because what he received was not an egg that was fertilized by a rooster, but rather an egg that came just from the, you know, in a cage or a battery, which was the warmth of the ground. Also, the camera came for the Bami. He said to him, We ruled straight away. Listen, he was deceived. The whole deal falls apart. Bahadur reversed him his money. So he might cheat again. Obviously, he cheated it. No, Mount, I would have thought, At the end of the day, all he wants is an egg to consume. Why did he say a male egg that was fertilized by a rooster? Because it's fatter. At the end of the day, what's the difference? He was deceived. 
The Mesra Labena Bena. I would have thought instead of canceling the whole deal, you just have to reimburse him the difference of the better quality egg that he wanted and what he received. Kamash Malan is considered deception and has to reimburse him. Some of the Rishayim say that what actually the Gemara is telling us is something else. Gemara is saying when, when a Bezdin or a Rab Paskins so and so, sometimes he has to explain himself and sometimes he doesn't. If it's something that's not obvious, he has to explain why he ruled the way he ruled, especially when it comes to matters of money. You know, he should explain why he ruled it. But if it's something that's very patently obvious, he doesn't have to explain why. So Gemara asks, when he said reimbursing the money, why did he have to add the explanation of Mecca Tufts? Isn't that obvious? And Gemara says it's not so obvious because we would have thought people are asking for these quality eggs, not because they necessarily want to raise chicks, but because they want they think it's a better quality egg. And, and he says, no. But nevertheless, they were cheated out of their whatever they asked for, and therefore they have to be reversed totally. Okay, we are up to the first wide line. I'm not sure in the scroll we're up to. Somebody wants to tell everybody, so we're all on the same page. 7A1. Okay, there you have it. We're still explaining, giving different interpretations to this expression that was said, or that, that, that Abuna said, name of Rav, that an egg, when it emerges, that's when it's complete. The boy is saying, oh, we'll give you two more possibilities. Another explanation, my imitsiyas and nigbuna. What do you mean when the egg comes out, it's full? Imitsiyas rugba nigbuna. Doesn't mean when the entire egg emerges, even if the majority of the egg emerges, it's considered as if it was laid. What does that mean? Ukid Rabbi Yechlan, Rabbi Yechlan said, Rabbi Yechlan said, interesting halacha. Beya, on Arab Yamtif, we learned till now, an egg laid on Yamtif is forbidden. So Rabbi Yechlan said, Beya shiyatsa rugba me'erab Yamtif. On Erev Yamtiv, majority of the egg emerged from the hen, and then it went right back in. The chaza, it went right back in. And Rabbi Yechina says, it's treated as if it was already laid Erev Yamtiv. So when it emerges entirely on Yamtiv, you can eat it. Muteres la'achlo You can eat it on Yamtiv proper because it already was laid yesterday. Even though the entire egg didn't come out only majority, that's good enough. The Ikedama and others say, my, what does it mean? Others want to say exactly the opposite. You know what Rav meant when he said that when the egg comes out, uh, it's completed? Only if the entire egg came out. Only the entire egg emerges. But the majority egg emerges. It's not considered laid. This comes to argue with what Rabbi Yechadon said. Okay, so that ends that part of the discussion. And now the Gemara continues. Says the Gemara, Gufa, let us analyze something else that was said previously. Now we're going to talk about an egg. We, we learned yesterday, oh, let's see, a few days ago, in the Brisa, it says that, ironically, from a very cow, you're not allowed to have meat and milk together, yet the very cow produces the milk. But because the milk is considered a separate entity from the cow, so obviously it's milk. And the same thing with a, with a chicken. An egg, even though it comes from the produced by the hen, it's not considered fleshix, it's considered parim, and you can have it with milk. So we learned, hush, but what happens if you found the egg inside the chick? So Gufa, let us analyze what we learned before. If somebody shechts a hen, somebody found the complete eggs, if you shechted a chicken, a hen, and you found in there complete eggs, you're allowed to eat it with milk. Even though you found the eggs inside the hen, you're allowed to eat it with milk. Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov disagrees. He says, 
if, for example, it didn't have yet a shell and it was still connected with, with sinews to the head itself, it's considered at this moment as flesh. And also, you're not allowed to drink, eat it with milk because it's still fleshy until it separates completely from the head. Mantana, so who's the author of the Haratan Who's the author of the following brisa that we learned? If you eat the, the a carcass of an animal, it contaminates you. But we have a unique halacha that is a bird, a kosher bird that dies. So that's called the velen, the carcass. That's the only animal that does not produce, generate any tumor unless you eat it. When you eat it, you become tummy and the clothes you are wearing become tummy. You have to eat it. So if somebody eats from the carcass of an oiftoir, from a kosher bird, so it'll, it'll make you tummy and your clothes tummy. And, uh, but if you touch the bird, even though it's dead, it will not make you tummy. Because um, it says in the passing, only if you eat it. So if somebody eats from the Nadeil of Oyftoir, or if somebody eats, min shall that if you eat from um, the eggs while they're attached to the different sinews, so they're attached to the veins, though there's no shell around it, and it's still attached to the head. Or is, or from the bones, from the veins, the sinus, if you eat a piece of flesh of this bird, but that piece of flesh was cut off the bird while the bird was still alive before it died. So none of these things, none of these things produce any tumor whatsoever. It's not considered part of the hen. So if you eat from the eggs that are attached to the veins of the sinus, it's not considered as if you're eating from the hen. It's totally separate from the hen. Okay, but then it continues. But if you ate minha eshkel, if you ate from the eshkel, I will soon see that is avayim. If you ate from the cluster of eggs, minha kurkevin eshkel shabayim is also the 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 flesh. Eshkel shabayim is the flesh around the eggs. You know the part of the the bird that it's attached to. Minha kurkevin from the gizzard, ubnei mayin from the intestines. Oishihimche es hachelim. Or you took some of the fats and you turned it into liquid and melted down the gummy, you swallowed it. All of these things are considered tame. They're all considered part of the hen. They're all considered part of the hen. <clears throat> um, now, man tana, who's the one who says, min hashalol shall bayim tar? Who's the one who says that if you eat the egg and it's attached with veins to the hen, it's still considered tar. It's not part of the hen. Obviously, it's not Rabbi Yaakov. Rabbi Yaakov said before that you're not allowed to eat that egg with milk. In other words, he considers it as meat, as part of the hen. Here we're saying that it's not part of the hen when it comes to the laws of Tumah. So obviously, it's not Rabbi Yaakov. I'm Rabbi Yaakov. Rabbi Yaakov said, like Rabbi Yaakov. Obviously, he does not follow Rabbi Yaakov. Because Rabbi Yaakov, if follows Rabbi Yaakov, didn't he say, if it's attached to the sinews, it's still considered part of the hen. It's considered meat. And as soon as it is forbidden to eat with milk, so obviously it also makes you tummy. And of course, Abaya would never let his teachers, Rabbi Rabbi Yisuf, to say a statement without him asking anything. Omale Abaya, Abaya asks, Memai, how do you know? Dilma, perhaps. Dilma, perhaps. Adkan, like Omar Rabbi Yaakov Hassan. Perhaps too. Now Rabbi Yaakov didn't say there, Elal Inyan Isura. Maybe Rabbi Yaakov is talking about meat and milk, and therefore he says that egg was attached to the sign is considered meat. Avol Inyan Tumma. Here we're talking about the laws of Tumma. And perhaps he'll agree when it comes to Tumma, it's not really part of the hen, and therefore it doesn't generate any Tumma life. 
I the chitema. If you're going to tell me, nevertheless, but it comes to tumah nigzer. Why don't we at least say that we should treat it like meat? Let's you know because if, if, I, if it comes to milk, we treat like meat. When it comes to tumah as well, let's treat it like meat at least with the rabbonon. So we should be extra careful. <clears throat> um, so when, it, for example, when it comes to the egg, why does Yaakov say that if it's attached to veins, you don't have it milk? So let me drop on them. We're worried that people will look at it and they think it's a piece of meat. And, and, and if you allow them to eat that with milk, they'll think you'll eat chicken with milk. So therefore, you say the same thing regarding tumor. So Rabbi, Rabbi says to Rabbi Yesu, but maybe no. Afushitumu, all you're doing is expanding the laws of tumor. We don't like to expand the laws of tumor. So Baya therefore says to Chich Rabbi Yesuf, you drew a conclusion that not, is not necessarily so. You thought of Rabbi Yaakov who says that these they cannot come from Rabbi Yaakov because he holds that the eggs exit far the hen. That's only as far as milk is concerned. As far as Tumah, perhaps Rabbi Yaakov agrees with the Rabban that's not part of the hen, and therefore you will not become Tumah if this first came out of the hen that died. The Ikidami, there's another version. The question is as follows. Man Tanahu in the next part of the verse where it says not about the Shalal Shobayim, but about the Eshkel Shobayim. And that is um, that, that, uh, in, that there's another way of learning. The other way of learning is that Eshkel of eggs is different than Shalal. Not the way we learned originally, but Eshkel of eggs means that, uh, eggs that are attached with sinews to the hen. And Shalal means um, that the egg is almost fully ready. It's already sort of detached from the hen. And, um, and there it already has some kind of membrane around it's already becoming detached from the hen. So man, and it said in the end of the rice that if it's an eshkoil, it is considered part of the hen and you will become tummy. So we ask man tana, who's the one who says that an eshkoil should be tummy? Who's the one who says that if we talk about the eggs? Right now, we assume that Eshkoshobayim mean we're still talking about the eggs themselves, but they're attached to the hen through these signs. Who's the one that says that the Eshkol of eggs, you are tummy? Omar said, that must be Rabbi Yaakov. Rabbi Yaakov is the one that says that the eggs, if it's still attached to the hen, is considered part of the hen. The said, if it's attached to the hen, it's also. Omar Abayi said to his teacher, Nimai, who told you the definition of Eshkol and Shoal is the way you learn? That Eshkol means it's attached with the sinews and shoal means that it's already detached, it's forming its own membrane. And that's why there's not part of that. Who told you that? Maybe it's the way we learned before. Who told you eshkel means we're talking about the egg and that's hanging, suspended on the spine with all the sinews. We're talking about the hen itself, the part of the hen that's attached to the egg. And that's why it's considered part of the hen. I you're gonna tell me eshkel gufe man we're talking about the eshkel, that's mamish part of the hen, of course. If you eat it, you become tummy. That's part of the hen. What's the what's the point of telling us that? There is a point. Just like there's a point in telling us about the gizzard. Why telling us about the gizzard? Isn't that part of the hen? Of course, you become tummy if you ate it of an availer. Or mine or the intestines. But the point is, the even though they are flesh, because people don't eat it, maybe it's not, the, it's not really considered food. Eat the flesh, meaning you need to tell me that the gizzard and the what's intestines. A, what's a kurkavan? Gizzard, it's like the bladder. What's a gizzard? Uh, the urinary bladder? By a by a, 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 a bird, it's like the the pupic. Okay. Halchanami here too. Kivon the ika inchi, because there are people the people who will not eat 
the, the eshko, that's the part of the hand, those veins over there that are surrounding the egg. So we would have thought it's not treated as food. And that's what the Bryce is telling us. It's a flashbina, that is food. Nothing to do with the argument about the egg themselves. That tells an interesting thing. Something about the anatomy of the behavior of different uh, birds or species. Tell them what we learned. Kosher tashmisha became any particular species that generally mates. And um, during the day, the they give birth during the day. Kosher tashmisha belayla, they have, if they mate at night, they give birth at night. And kosher tashmisha, those that mate by day or and by night, the noilid baby can have children or lay you know, eggs, whatever it is, by day and by night. So you might explain that. Kosher tashmisha beyem who we're talking about the Zutana Gaila, talking about a hen. They generally have relations during the day and therefore they lay eggs during the day. Kosher tashmisha belayla, noilid belayla, anything that has relations at night, zu atle, that's a bat. And they have a kosher tashmisha baby that they don't pick any particular hours day and night. Adam, talking about a person, the hold the dumbling, any other animal that's similar to a person. So they can have children any time of the day. Says Imara, let's focus on what you just said. Amamai, you just said, what do we need to know this for? We need to know, you know, that the eggs are laid during the day. Well, who cares? Says Imara, it does matter. Regarding a law that Ramari, the son of Kana, relate to us. What happens if at night, Bodak you checked over there the cage of the hens before Yom Tev, you checked around everywhere to see if there were any eggs there. You didn't find any eggs. The following day, Heshkim, you woke up, and the following morning, you woke up before dawn, and and you found your egg. He says, you can eat it, because since hens only mate during the day, they only laid during the day, and the day didn't start yet, so um, it couldn't have happened at night. It couldn't have been laid at night. Obviously, you didn't check thoroughly enough. It must have been buried somewhere. You didn't see it. And therefore, it just got uncovered during the night. And therefore, it was laid before Yom to the previous day. You're allowed to eat it. Mutetis says, how come? How can you rule that? By the you just told us he checked out the cage. Amor, so we're going to conclude, he didn't check it thoroughly enough. Even if he did check it thoroughly enough, and there was no exit. But there's a possibility, we are so convinced that this hen will not lay any eggs at night. So the only possible explanation is, the alternative explanation is, Yasa Ruba, the majority of the egg came out already before Yom Tov, And then it's possible to come out during the night. The Chazer Havoi came back out at night. And then we'll follow Rabbi Yechen and says that in this case, we treat it as if it was laid before Yom Tov. Says the Gemara, ain't it's not so. Omar Rabbi Yisi ben Shol and Rav didn't Rabbi Yisi say in the name of Rav, Bodak bekona shatanagel. If you checked out the cage of a hen, meedet yom tivulei matzbei, he didn't find a similar circumstance. He didn't find any eggs. Ulamachet Heshki woke up before dawn and matzbei. Hey, if I egg, so he actually says quite the opposite. He Rav says that no, that he actually will say that the egg happened during the night on yom tiv and forbidden to eat it because you checked it in the beginning of yom tiv. There's nothing there. Obviously, it happened at night. How can it happen at night? You just said a minute ago, it doesn't happen at night. So the Gemara says it depends how this hen lays eggs. Depends if it was fertilized by a rooster, if it happened through a rooster, or it happened through just the warmth of the ground. If it happened by a rooster, it's only during the day. It's 24 hours, 24 7. 
There, Rav is talking about a case where the, the, there's no roosters around, it's just the hens, and therefore the eggs can be laid anytime. You didn't, you checked out of Yamta, nothing there. You found it the next morning. Obviously, it was laid at night. So, therefore, it's an egg that was laid on Yamta. We're talking about where there's a rooster. There's a rooster, then at night, definitely no eggs will be laid. It had to be there from before Yamta. Says the Gemari Hachiv. So the Rav Mori Nami Ein How does Rav Mori know then? Maybe even if there's a rooster around, maybe it happened Safna Daara. If you found that you didn't see any eggs for the beginning of Yom Tov, you found one in the morning. Maybe the hen uh, was a, just from the Safna the warmth of the ground. Says the Gemara, but the Ika Zocher Bahada. There was a rooster around. So what? So what? How do you know how it happened? Okay, there's a rooster there. But how do you know this particular egg came from a rooster? Maybe it came from the warmth of the ground. There's another biological fact that we learned. If the hen sees a rooster around, it's not going to uh, get eggs from the warmth of the ground. It's going to wait for the rooster. How far away, what distance the rooster have to be before we say definitely it has to come from a rooster and therefore it cannot be at night that he laid, that this hen laid the egg. Wherever. If you can hear, if the rooster can hear this, sorry, if the hen can hear the sound of the rooster during the day because we know that at night sound travels a lot further during the day. During the day, there's a lot of competing noises. So sound doesn't travel so far. So during the day, if the hen can hear the rooster, then um, then we know that it did not happen for Safnadar. How far is that? replicated an incident. If the rooster was within a distance of 60 houses, the hen can hear it. And therefore, any egg that comes out of the hen definitely came from the rooster. If you, and therefore, at night, it couldn't have laid any eggs. However, it's not so simple. The Ika Nara, even if the rooster is closer what, than that. What do you mean it came from the rooster? You mean it was fertilized or what? I mean, yeah. but that's exactly what we're saying. There's two ways that the hen can have eggs, either on its own or with a rooster. It can be asexual or sexual. So, therefore, we're saying here is that a hen will not produce on its own if there's a rooster in the vicinity. Right. But even if there's a rooster in the vicinity, and, the, and, the, and why it matters is, if you didn't, if you checked, there were no eggs at the beginning of Yom Tov, you found an egg in the morning. If there's a rooster, it definitely the egg is before Yom Tov. Couldn't have been at night because nothing happens at night. But they don't give lay eggs at night. If it's Safadara, then it could be at night just as well. And therefore it would be forbidden on Yom Tov. So even the rooster is in the vicinity, but the Ikanada, this obstruction, for example, is a river that's intersecting between these two, the rooster and the hen, then lay up there. Then obviously you cannot rely on the rooster. But if there is a bridge, it'll cross over. But if, for example, not a proper bridge, just a rope that you have to be a tightrope walker to walk across, then the rooster will obviously will not cross, and then you can assume that it's Safnara. But the Gemara disagrees. The Gemara says, there was a story once, but the rooster was so desperate, it crossed over on the rope to, the, to get to the hens. Says the Gemara, but So what are you telling me? So you're telling me that what? That if there's no rooster, we assume it came from Safna the Ara, and therefore, at night it could have been late at night as well, and therefore it's forbidden on Yom So my area bodak, what's the relevance that you checked? Even if you didn't check, 
Even if we didn't check, we're going to come in the morning, you see eggs, you can assume it was laid last night and it's forbidden on Yom Tif. Why is it, in, you're telling me that if you check, there are no eggs, and then you found an egg, it must be from Yom Tif. And if you didn't check and you found eggs in the middle of Yom Tif, assume that it can all happen, you know, that night, from Safadara. Says the Gemara, no. He liked, but if you didn't check, if you didn't check, we're going to say, you know what? Probably came from yesterday. Why? Because most eggs still are laid during the day. So if you didn't check and you have no idea where the eggs came from, we're going to assume we'll attribute it to the majority, which is during the day. So it must have happened yesterday. If you, if you check first thing in the morning, before dawn, it must have come before Yomtev. Says the Gemari, so even if you checked, the beginning of Yom Tov, you didn't find any eggs, and you tell me the next morning it must be at night. How do you know? Maybe the eggs were later at a Yom Tov, but then it went back into the hen and came out during the night. So therefore, it's, a, it's considered like a, a pre-Yom Tov egg. Kibari Nami Eimel, why don't we say, Yatsa Rubi B'chazer, and it came back in. That incident, Rabbi Yechen, is not common. So we're not going to attribute it to uh, that it was laid on Eriyamta went back into the head. No, then we'd rather say it probably was laid on Yamta proper. Another thing Rabbi Yisib ben Shol said, which is totally unrelated, but a law that he said, if you see a garlic that is ground up and you know, it became liquid, you shouldn't eat it the following day if it left it exposed because a snake might have drank from the, the juice of that garlic and would have put some venom in that garlic. So we don't do that as well. These are the laws of Sakana, which we had, we'll have in Abu Zara, all the different laws there about, you know, snakes or other matters to do with Sakana. Says the back to our Mishnah. Our Mishnah, we had another argument between Visham and Shammai said, when it comes to yeast, then the amount, the amount that's forbidden at Pesach is the size of an olive. When it comes to Hamid, it's the size of a dry date or a date that's dry, which is larger than an olive, but smaller than an egg. So he makes two different shiurim, depending if it's yeast or if it's um, or if it's uh, just bread. And Vesil says there's no difference between the two. So first we'll start Vesameh. Why does he make a difference? Because he says very simply, let it, the Torah just say, why doesn't the Torah just say, why mention say at all? And I would make a kavachim. Oh, no, I mean, I would say, that it itself, it itself is leavened bread, but it cannot cause others to become leavened. It's not, you know, it's not considered really chametz. It doesn't, it cannot, it's not sour enough to make uh, produce other leavened bread. Yet, because zayis is already also the size of an olive, and it's yeast. Surely, surely you forbidden the size of an olive. So why does the Torah mention Sa'id? Let me tell you, tell you that a two separate amount. This is a kazayis by chametz, but when it comes um, by Sa'id, when it comes to chametz, it's the size of a kazayis because it's less significant. What exactly is Sa'or? Like yeast. Just yeast, like yeast grains. Yeast, yeast. You know, yeast, when you make challah, you put some yeast in there. And the yeast, what it does is it causes the challah to rise. A packet of yeast which hasn't actually risen is is not allowed. Yeast is is not just itself chametz; it makes chametz. It makes other things leaven. That's what it does. That's its role. It itself is not so edible. You don't. Nobody eats yeast. It's uh, you only put a little bit of yeast in. But what it does is it causes the the bread to rise, the dough to rise. So it's 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 much stronger chametz than just a piece of bread on its own. 
So therefore, Shammai says it's two different amounts. You know, the stricter one is a kazais, the less strict one is a larger amount, which is the size of a, of a date. A basil says no. They're both the same size. So why does it have to mention both? Because there is, if we only knew one, we wouldn't automatically infer the next. And why is that? Well, basil, you need both. One talks about yeast having our thought, we shouldn't Yeast makes sense. It causes other things to become leavened. Therefore, it's forbidden the size of an owl. It doesn't cause other things to become leavened. Aim a lie. Maybe it's not even forbidden. The Torah has to spell it out. No, he says, just say chametz. No, because only chametz, I would say, chametz is edible. That's the final product. But when it comes to yeast, yeast, which is not suitable to be eaten at all, maybe, maybe yeast is not even forbidden. It's not really food. Therefore, the Torah has to highlight both, but they're both exactly the same shear. Says the Gemara, so Beishamai doesn't agree with the principle of Abzeira. I mean, Beishamai was a town of Zeira, but Abzeira says something which makes a lot of sense. And that is, remember, there's two sins regarding Chametz and Pesach. One is eating, consumption, and one is having it. Bal Yira, Bal Yimatsa. You shouldn't see it, you shouldn't even have it in your, in your possession. So Abzeira come along and said, Abzeira said, Pasach HaKosa B'Sa'ir, the Torah starts off talking about uh, Sa'ir. It says, And then the Pazik says, The Pazik says, You shouldn't have any Sa'ir in your, in your possessions. And then it says, And whoever eats Chametz receives Karas. Why change from Sa'ir to Chametz? Just say, Whoever eats it. Why suddenly introduce Chametz? So Abzeda says, I tell you, when it comes to eating, they both have exactly the same laws. They're both the same amount. So how can Shammai come along? What's Shammai's logic? Says I'll tell you. If it comes to consumption of chametz, there's no discussion. And why they both agree, Hila and Shammai, that's exactly the same amount. They're both a kazais. You know what they're arguing? They're arguing regarding having it in your house. Here already, the Torah gives you, you shouldn't have any chametz in your house and you shouldn't have any sa'ir in your house. Why does the Torah have to separate the two? You don't compare uh, destroying the chametz from eating the chametz, two different separate laws. So when it comes to bayra bayimatzeh, there's a difference between chametz and sa'ir. They still, still hold, you do compare the two. You compare um, beer and achila, and therefore they're both exactly the same. Uh, amounts. The regarding destroying the chametz, not having it in your possession. Avelina comes to eating. Everyone agrees. both same time. It says twice. Don't see, but one place it says chametz and one place it says So that's the whole argument when it comes to seeing chametz, having it in your possession. Shabbat says that Sa'ir and Chametz are different. Sa'ir is much, is much stricter as a Kazayis and Chametz Bekezayis. Chametz is a date. And they're both now, but they're only arguing by Yerub. When it comes to eating, everyone agrees it's always a Kazayis. Then the Mishnah continued if you shecht a Chayan Oifan Yomter, now a Chayat, like a deer, venison, or a wild goat, is a mountain goat, and a bird. They're, they have a separate law, two laws. One is that the fats are permitted. Not like behemoth, the fats is straight. By them, their chalib is permitted. But there's another law that you have to cover the blood. Kisei hadam. 
So our Mishnah said that Bishamah, again, another leniency, Bishamah says if you shechted these animals on Yom Tif, you can take a shovel and dig up dirt and cover to do the mitzvah of Kisi Hadam. And Basil says you can't, but then the Mishnah concludes, but Basil agrees if you did it already, shechted already, then you can use the shovel. Now, we don't know if there are any preconditions about the shovel, did you prepare it, did you set it aside, because there are a few issues here. When you're digging a hole, if you're digging a hole in your house, it's called boina, you're building. If you're digging a hole in your garden, you are actually like plowing, and that is chayrish. And then the dirt itself, if it's in clumps and you break it down, it's like grinding. So there's a number of malachas here that we're, that's involved here. And yet, Shama has no issue at all, and Hill says, but yeah, but it's all right. So what's going on here? First of all, the expression, where the Mishnah introduces halacha, sounds like, if you already shechted, blah, blah, blah. It sounds like only if it already happened. But if you ask a rob, can I go ahead and shecht on yomtif and then cover the blood with digging it, he will tell you no. That's what it sounds like. So the Mishnah is talking about if you already shechted, what do you do now? So he says, take a shovel and dig out some sand. Aim a safer, but then look at the next part of the Mishnah. Basil says, don't shecht. The words of the hill is, don't shecht. Sound like you haven't done it yet. And you're asking, can I, can I? And the rabbi says, you don't have sand prepared? Don't shecht. Which means, Bishamai says, I don't care if you don't have anything prepared. Go ahead and shecht. So the wording, hashecht, doesn't sound right. Because the word hashecht sounds like, if you already shechted, and if Shammai and Hill are arguing, they're both arguing the same, the same case. So what's going on here? Miklal, it would seem from the words of Hillel, he says, don't proceed to Shech. Sounds like that the Tanakama, Beishamai, the first Tanakama, so you can. What's going on here? It's, like about a whole cash. it's not a problem. What he's saying is, don't Shech. This is what Shammai says. Uh, which I, this is the first thing, this is what Hillel says. Hill says, of course, we're talking about a case where you already Shechted. So when Hillel says, don't Shech, it doesn't mean don't Shech. He means, if you shecht already, don't shecht now and cover it. So the, the don't is not on the word shechting, the don't is on the what, what follows the shechting. Covering the blood, don't cover the blood. That's how the Gemara initially wanted to learn pshat. So the Gemara, it can't be. Let's continue the Mishnah. It says, but they both agree, if you already did shecht, dig with your shovel, cover it. So we, clearly, he'll agree if he did it already, it's all right. So when Shammai and Hill are arguing in the beginning of the mission, talking about a case where you haven't checked it yet. And the question is, can I or can't I? Mikral the Rachel of the Evan, not about a case that already happened. So what's this hashaykhit? Omar Rabbah, Rabbah says, and we'll have an argument between Rabbah and Rabbi Yisachit. Rabbah says, this is how you read the mission. Hashaykhit, if somebody wants to shech, not that he already shech, he wants to shech, so he goes to his rov and he says, rov, can I shech? He comes to consult his Rav. Even though normally Hashaykh means you did it already, here we have no choice. We have to learn you haven't done it yet. You're going to Shech, you come into Gesalt. Can I Shech or not? And the problem is, I'm at, why am I asking if I can Shech? Because I don't really have sand prepared. I didn't set aside sand, sawdust, whatever it is, to cover the blood. Can, can I proceed to Shech? Uh, says, go ahead and shecht. Then you can go ahead and dig and then cover the blood. You can do that. The mitzvah of Kisadam allows you to do that. says, do not shecht. You don't have why any is it that why is that mitzvah a mitzvah bavaira? 
We'll soon see what, what the bait here is, whether it's Navera or not. We'll soon see. Right now, well, I thought you were going to ask, why don't we say the mitzah say pushes away the loisas? We'll soon see. Sahil says, you cannot check. The problem here is we're talking about, we're assuming right now the moment, all we're talking about is muktzah. You haven't prepared the sand. We're not talking yet about digging the hole and all that. You just haven't prepared the sand, so it's like muktzah. Beishamay says, no problem, I'm not worried about muktzah. And Beishil says, yes, it is a problem. We're worried if we didn't prepare the sand, set aside the sand before yamtiv, it is muktzah. Okay, so that's what Rabba says, the discussion here is. You asked the Rav, you didn't have sand prepared. Rabbi Yisif says, very similar to Rabba, one slight difference, and the Gemara will soon explain what exactly is their argument. If this guy wants to shech, he asks the Rabbi, look, I have no sand prepared. Kate said, what should I do? What should we tell him? Tell him, first dig. This is different than Rabbi. Rabbi said, first shech, and then go ahead and dig for the sand, or uh, you know, shovel out some sand. But uh, Rabbi Yisif, uh, um, say, uh, sorry, and Rabbi Yisif says, Bishamay says, first dig, and then shchait. No, prepare the sand, then shecht, and then the kiss and the cover it. And Basil says, you should not shecht at all, unless you had sand prepared, otherwise it's muksa. So Rabbi Rabbi Yisif are arguing in how to understand Bishamay. Bishamay should you shecht first and then you use the shovel to take out some of the sand, even though it wasn't prepared. And Basil says, no, first dig the sand, and the, and, and the Rabbi Yisrael says, first dig the sand, and then shach. What's the argument? It seems to me that Mar, the Rabbah, that you, my teacher, and Rabbah, my other teacher, you're arguing in the, in the law of Rabbi Zayda, the name of Rab. And what is that? When we do kisadam, it's not enough just to cover the blood. It has to have like a, it has to have a cover on the ground, some sand on the ground. Then you put the blood on it, and then you place um, uh, sand on top of that. So, and that's the argument, perhaps. Hashaykhit he said that we shech, first you got to put sand on the floor, the offulamaila, then blood, and then sand up up. Now it says the shavach dama, you should pour out the blood of this bird. Or the chayyeh, the chiso, offer, cover it. It doesn't say offer, it says offer inside the sand. Cover it with sand inside the sand. Offer the it doesn't say sand, ella offer inside the sand. The sandwich. Sorry? Yes. The sandwich. Exactly, like the man. A cover on top, a cover on the bottom. You eat sand below and sand beneath and sand above. So therefore, it seems to me. The mad, you hold like Rabzeda, therefore you say the first thing you should do is dig up, dig up some sand to make a, a cover of sand on the ground, then put the blood, then put more sand on it. And Rabba less Rabzeda. Rabba says first shech and then cover it with sand. Obviously, he doesn't hold Rabzeda. Omar Rabbi says, You totally misunderstood. Rabbi Yasef said to his, to his prize student, Abaya, whether it's myself, whether Rabba, Eastland Rabzeda. We both agree you need to have some sand on the bottom beneath the blood. This is the argument. Interesting argument. Rabbi holds that if there's going to be sand below, in, and now you're coming to ask a shayla, so we'll tell you, fine, go ahead and shecht, and then place sand on top. But Eloi, if there's no sand below, so the first thing you have to do is to dig up some sand below, we're not going to allow that. We're scared you're going to dig up some sand below, 
First, you have to prepare some sand. If you want the blood to sprinkle on the ground, you need to have some sand first. So if you, I'm worried, says, um, says Rabba, you're going to, I'm worried that Rabba says, you can have some sand on the bottom. We allow you to, to prepare some sand. If somebody can mute themselves, please. Where are you going? If, um, if, if, so, if you have sand on the bottom, and then you can change your mind, and you're not going to shecht. Comes out that you move the sand for no reason. You you, you made a tilch a bother for no reason, and that bothers. So Rabbi never says. Rabbi, so the is already prepared sand at the bottom. That's fine. Somebody can please mute themselves. Um, the uh, Eloi, but if not Eloi, if not, if you don't have sand on the bottom. Oh, We're not going me. to let you... Um, Bring me back some kids. <laughs> if you don't have sand on the bottom, we're not going to let you... Shech, you're going to change your mind. Chayshina, we are worried. Dilma mamlich okay. right. You might okay. change your mind and not proceed to the you. So we, you, you okay. dug up sand on Yomte for no reason at all. Oh. <laughs> According to me... Is it okay now? Ha Adifa. According to me... It Benny, is, can you mute your microphone? <laughs> Benny, okay, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Mute, mute your microphone. Okay. Okay. That's it. Okay, bye. Bessie, yep. mute me, they want me to mute it. Mute it. You want to mute it? Okay. Uh, Uludi, I say, I like it better. If we are not, if we're gonna to say to him, if you don't have any sand prepared, we're not gonna like the chef, what are we actually achieving? He won't have meat to eat on Yamtu and the mitzvah of Simcha and Yamtu. So bottom line, just to repeat, rabbis of the opinion, you need to have sand prepared before you shech the animal. So you have where, sand on the floor, the blood squirts out, out from where, the animal. And where then you the cover. Where's the place, please? Deaf one. The very bottom of the page, if somebody can tell me what we're up to, are the two which dots. Page? Which page? 7B and uh, I don't know. 7B4. 7A4. Which one? 7B4, the very bottom of the page. 7, is it? Yes, 7B4, the very bottom of the page. 7B4. Okay. Do you have it? Okay. We're talking about eggs. Why are we suddenly bringing all this business in? This, because this is the last. Remember, we had three arguments in the Mishnah between Shammai and Hill, where Shammai was more lenient than Hill. Once we brought the first thing about eggs, where Shammai was more lenient, we brought two other cases where Shammai was more lenient. We're going to have a number of arguments of Shammai and Hill in this first parakel of But these are unique. Shammai is lenient. It's unrelated okay. to the eggs business. Nothing uh, totally unrelated. Is this the oh. only place where Shammai is more lenient than Hillel? No, there's a Mishnah in Mesech the Idias which lists all the cases where Shammai is more lenient than uh, Hillel. And in, in some of these cases are not even mentioned there, but we mention it here. So, that, so we conclude that according to uh, everyone holds that you, have, you need sand on the bottom, blood, and then sand on top. According to Rabbi, if you don't have any sand prepared, we're not going to let you go ahead and shecht. We're not going to let you go, go prepare some sand on Yom Tov. Why don't you change your mind? And you did it for you did it for no reason. And Abiy says it's better to let him worst kind of worse, he changes his mind. But other, otherwise, it's only muktza. Otherwise, you're going to prevent this person from having meat on Yom Tov and to mitzvah to eat meat and to be besimcha.
Okay, we're up to two lines in the bottom. But everyone agrees. Everyone agrees that if you did shech, that even Hill agrees, you take the shovel and you take out some sand. So what's what do you mean? But you asked the question that isn't it digging and how can you do that? So Navarus and Imar explains. It's not so straightforward. We are talking about where you actually have a shovel already there standing in the sand before before you have to this. The shovel is already inside the sand. So all you're doing is lifting the shovel. And when you lift the shovel, some sand comes with it. So you're not actually digging anything out right now. Or we'll soon see, maybe you are, we'll see. But the shovel's already prepared sitting inside the sand. So the Gemara, um, but I have a problem with that. But okay, let's say there's no problem there with the digging itself. But our other Ketisha, if you have lumps of the sand, you have clumps, and then you break the sand down, isn't that grinding? And um, so no, because you're telling us that the reason why you're allowed to dig the sand is not because, okay, you're digging on, on Yom Tov, but we don't care because the mitzvah assay of covering the blood pushes away the negative, the loisase of, um, of making the hole. But you're telling us that's not the story. The shovel's already prepared. It's already inside the sand. No avera is being done from the tighter. And that's why you're allowed to do that because it's already dug up. You just have the shovel there. He just didn't pull it out yet with the sand and put it aside. But what about the other malach of the tighter, of grinding? Because it's still attached to the lumps. Says the Gemara, top of the page, we're talking about offer to Tuach. There's no lumps here. We're talking clumps here. We're talking about where the sand is very soft, and therefore there's no issue there about grinding or breaking up the sand. Says the Gemara, but what about the Hakavi Guma? You're forming a hole. If it's inside your house, it's Boina. If it's outside, you're Chaydish. The fact is, right now the shovel's sitting inside the ground and the sand covering it. And when you pull the shovel out with the sand, you just form the hole. If somebody digs a hole in Shabbos, all you need is the sand. This is called a malacha. You're doing the malacha of digging a hole, but I don't want the hole, I just want the sand, which is the case over here. So it's a malacha. Normally we say it's awesome at Rabbanon, but Rashi says over here, you're actually ruining it. Since you have no interest at all in the hole, you're actually ruining your garden, you're ruining your house. And Mekalkal is potter. This ends the Gemara of the first day Rosh Hashanah. And now we're going to...